0: The Old Testament reading this morning is Joel two, twenty eight through 32 page 968 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> Before we read this scripture, please join with me as we pray the prayer for illumination. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and a light for our path. So by your Spirit, light our way as we read your word. Give us eyes to see all that you want us to see. Give us ears to hear all that you want us to hear. Give us hearts that might be opened and transformed at the reading of your word. In your son's precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. The Lord will pour out his spirit. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female spirits in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of our Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord has called. Amen.
1: Thank you, Gary. Well, as I said earlier, happy... Pentecost Sunday. Uh, for all those of you who are wearing your red, you look you look great. Even if you're not wearing red, you look good. So, uh, but so glad you're here. You know, Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday. It's the celebration of when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in power. In fact, if you look at our stained glass window, the bottom right uh, section has a, a, an image of the Holy Spirit, like a dove, ascending upon the disciples. There were 120 disciples gathered together, both men and women. And like a loud rushing wind, the Holy Spirit with tongues of fire comes upon the disciples. And they begin to preach the good news of Jesus in all kinds of different languages. It's an amazing scene that we find in Scripture. And of course, it's called Pentecost because it's 50 days after Passover, and so it would have been Pentecost in the original Greek. And if you'll remember, uh, Jesus, as Kim pointed out last week in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells them in Acts 1 verse 8 that the Holy Spirit will come upon them in power, and he tells them to wait uh, in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them in power, and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And so the disciples in one room, the upper room together, are praying, and then the Holy Spirit appears. And the church, we haven't been the same since. To see exactly what unfolded that first Pentecost and to see how the Holy Spirit has a role in our lives today, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It may be found on page 1157 of your Red Pew Bible, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. But before I read God's word and preach God's word, please join me in, in another prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that by your spirit you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have an orderly account of the earliest church, so we might see how your spirit moved in and through their lives, so that thousands and thousands might come to faith in Christ. Oh God, we pray that by your spirit you would do it again, that you would move in a mighty way, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And how is it that we hear each of us his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed. Saying to one another, "What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, "They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, it's, it is only the third hour of the day. but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days. It shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and in signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of the lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our lord stands forever this is the word of the lord thanks, thanks be so to god. god so those who received his words were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls that's amazing how is that possible How is it possible for Peter, a a rural fisherman from Galilee, to be able to preach so eloquently and convincingly to help bring 3,000 people to faith in Christ? How is it possible for Peter, who, who just a few weeks before had denied knowing Jesus three times in the temple courts, and yet now he stands in the city of Jerusalem before the crowds that had helped crucify Jesus, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus? How is it possible? How is it possible that 3,000 people would have ears to hear and, and their hearts would be broken, that they would be baptized on the spot and confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and begin to follow him faithfully? How is it possible? And suddenly, there came down from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It is the Holy Spirit who makes it possible for Peter, a trained fisherman, to preach so eloquently on that first Pentecost. It's the Holy Spirit who allows Peter to overcome his fears and boldly preach before over 3,000 people the good news of Jesus, people who had previously yelled to crucify Jesus, crucify him. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, now has the faith and the courage to preach to these people about the good news of God's love that we find in Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit who penetrated the hearts and the minds of these 3,000 people They would humbly confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and be baptized that day. When was the last time God used any of us to help bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ? Popular preacher and best-selling author Francis Chan writes this about the Holy Spirit. He's written a book called Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan says this, From my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they have experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year. As you think about the last year, how have you experienced the Holy Spirit's power moving in and through you? How has the Holy Spirit used you to help point someone else to Christ? When was the last time you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? If I asked a good Pentecostal friend of mine, when was the last time he felt the Holy Spirit move in his life? He'd say, I do it every Sunday when I speak in tongues. Of course, we're a Presbyterian. We don't do that kind of thing, right? We We do everything decently and orderly, although occasionally when we get together with the four Amarillo churches, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those combined worship services, and and if I'm leading the prayer, you know, we always say the Lord's Prayer, and we say debts and debtors, but everybody else is saying trespasses and trespassers, and and, and we say it because that's what Matthew wrote, and so we're saying debts and debtors, and they say, forgive us our trespasses and those who trespass against us, and for a moment, it might sound like we're speaking in tongues. That's about as close as we get. But if you read 1 Corinthians, the reason we are the way we are and we worship the way we do is because Paul, the apostle Paul tells us that we do not serve a God of disorder, but a God of order. And so our worship is is well-ordered. And In fact, he tells us that those who have the gifts of tongue, he talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that those who have the gifts of tongues, and we believe people do have the gift of tongues, that it's not helpful to the body unless there is someone to interpret. And so we encourage those who have the spiritual gift of tongues to, to pray in tongues maybe to themselves or quietly, but not in the midst of worship, because if there's no one to interpret, We're all confused by what is being said and it doesn't build up the body of Christ. And so our our order of worship tends to be a little more uh, orderly and and less uh, charismatic. Did you know, though, that John Calvin, one of the founding fathers of the Presbyterian Church, is actually often called the theologian of the Holy Spirit? If you read Calvin's Institutes, and this is, this is it, this is his great work, and, and I had to read much of this, it took me three years in seminary to read this, and, and as you read through Calvin's Institutes, you can point out that about half of it talks about the Holy Spirit. Calvin's understanding of the sacraments is very much tied to his understanding of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit, by his power, makes Christ's presence known to us as we come to this table this morning. Calvin points out that it was the Holy Spirit who inspired God's word. And and so as we read God's word, we we hear from the Holy Spirit. Calvin talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says this in his Institutes. Faith is the principal work of the Holy Spirit. For John Calvin, it's the Holy Spirit who ultimately leads us to faith in Jesus. In fact, Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist of our time who married a Presbyterian, by the way, uh, Ruth Bell Graham, she was a Presbyterian, Her father was a missionary in China. Billy Graham writes this about the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can open our eyes. Only he can convict us of the death of our sin and only he can convince us of the truth of the gospel. I'm pretty sure that's why before Billy Graham ever goes into a city with one of his crusades, they assemble these large prayer teams to pray fervently, to saturate that city in prayer, knowing that unless the Holy Spirit shows up, no one is going to come to faith in Christ. And so they pray that the Holy Spirit might do a mighty work in that city. As the Apostle Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Faith, our faith is a work of the Holy Spirit. If we have any hopes of fulfilling the great commission that Jesus has given to us to make disciples of all nations, to be witness of his love in and, and the city where we are, in the region where we're from, and, and to the ends of the earth, we have got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit As New Testament scholar and Anglican cleric John Stott points out, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There could be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath, as a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. That's pretty strong language. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. Without the Holy Spirit leading our church, we'll be dead. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us. As we look at Scripture, we can see that there are three principal roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. For the Holy Spirit has, has come to guide us in all truth. He's come to empower us to do the work of God's kingdom. He's come to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Guide, empower, transform. Can you say that with me? Guide, empower, transform. G-E-T. Get it? Got it? Good, right? Guide, empower, transform. Guide. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that before he's arrested, the night before he's arrested, he tells his disciples that he has to leave so the Holy Spirit can come and and the Holy Spirit's going to lead them and, and guide them in all truth. In John chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. One of the Holy Spirit's principal roles is to guide us to the truth. And we know from Scripture, from the words of Jesus, that he is the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so one of the principal ways that the Holy Spirit guides us in truth is through his holy inspired word. As the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, who was leading the church in Ephesus at the time, he writes to him, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Greek word for breathed out there is theos panoustos. Theos meaning God, pano, meaning to breathe. And when we read uh, that that the Spirit came, the Spirit means pneuma. We get the word pneumonia from that, but pneuma. And so this Holy Spirit inspired, he breathed out God's word so that Paul might write his letters and Luke might write his gospel. Yes, all scripture is God-breathed. And as we read God's word, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But John Calvin points out in his institutes, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the word can do nothing. One of the reasons that we pray for a prayer of illumination before we ever read the scriptures in our worship services that we know that that we're fallen, broken people and we need the Holy Spirit to, to move so we might hear what God wants us to hear. Notice that in Acts chapter two, Peter, when preaching to all these Jews in Jerusalem, begins to quote the prophet Joel and then he later quotes Psalm 16 from King David. He's helping the Jews see how their miraculous utterance is a, is a, and Jesus' death are ultimately a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit, as we read God's word, is going to guide us to Jesus. And he's going to help us see that even Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the books of the Old Testament ultimately point us to Jesus, even Leviticus. for if we're to understand that sacrificial system that we read in Leviticus, we can see that Jesus fulfills it in his perfect life and sacrifice. Yes, the principal role of the Holy Spirit is to, to guide us into all truth, and Jesus is the truth. As Jesus explains in John 15, verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit has been sent to bear witness to who Jesus is, So that as we read the scriptures, we can see that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecies and he also fulfills the the moral law and the the sacrificial law of the Old Testament. For Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. And then he died a sinner's death as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then he conquered sin and death on the third day when he rose again. He, He won a battle that we could never win on our own. And now we can have the victory in Christ if we'll simply believe in him and have the assurance of eternal life as we put our faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes residence in our lives. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come to guide us through his word to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has come to empower us to do the work of God's kingdom. Empower the Holy Spirit empowers us by giving each one of us different spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are today? Are you exercising your spiritual gifts, whether it be as a part of this church or, or perhaps out in the community or in your place of work? If you read Luke's, uh, um, sorry, Paul's letters, you can read 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. He gives a, a beautiful list of different spiritual gifts, uh, gifts like exhortation and knowledge and teaching and mercy and service, wonderful gifts. And he points out that we don't, we don't all have the same gifts. God has made each one of us differently, and by his will, he's chosen to give each one of us different spiritual gifts. As we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us different spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are today? Are you using your gifts for the sake of God's kingdom work? Well, I... Uh, ushers are going to come forward here right now, and they're going to actually hand out these wonderful uh, surveys. And I know I could have given to you and said, turn it in later, but you know what happens? You don't turn them in. So uh, we're going to do that right now in worship, and it's a 20 questions. There are actually more spiritual gifts than 20, but if you could fill it out, it's real simple, and as the ushers begin to hand them out right now, uh, I'm going to just go over the first question with you as they hand them out. It says, people often tell me that I'm a good organizer of groups and committees. Well, that, that would point to the spiritual gift of administration. And you could say no desire toward it, like I'm not good at that or almost never true, you know, sometimes, sometimes true, or almost always true. If you're almost always true, then you probably have that gift. But you won't know what your spiritual gift is, not simply by filling out a survey, but by exercising those gifts. You may think that, well, you have the gift of craftsmanship, which we find in in Exodus. Well, if everything you make always breaks, you probably don't have the gifts of craftsmanship. But you may think I have the gift of teaching, like Scott Gilmore has the gift of teaching and he teaches our children, and the children, they respond to his teaching. He's, he's, he's heard uh, readily from the kids that they're learning what he's saying. So, so you may have that gift. So our desire this morning is simply for you to quickly fill this out. Uh, don't think too long about it. Just check the boxes as you, as you feel led. Put your name on the top and your phone number, and we're going to follow up with you in the next few weeks about how you might use those gifts, whether it be a part of this church or in the community. Because God has given each one of us different gifts, and we just want to help begin that conversation. So you might discover how you can use your gifts, but you won't really know until you begin to exercise them. As you use your gifts, you'll see how God affirms you or helps he helps redirect you. So we're going to take some time right now, quietly in the sermon, and we're just going to fill this out together. If you need a pen, raise your hand. The ushers can deliver one to you. Now, we don't all have the same spiritual gifts, and we're going to ask you as a part of your giving to us today, giving of your time, talents, and treasures, to make this a part of your offering. So when the offering plate comes by, please put this sheet of paper in the offering plate. Please put your name and phone number on the top. Murray will call you in the next few weeks, and we'll just talk to you about how you might be exercising your gifts. Maybe you already are using your gifts to do the work of God's kingdom, but God, through His Holy Spirit, has given us different gifts so that we might bear witness to His amazing grace and love. Yes, the Holy Spirit guides us, he empowers us, and finally he transforms us. As we submit our lives to the truth of Jesus Christ and begin to follow him, the Holy Spirit begins to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. And then we begin to bear the the fruits of the Spirit, which the Apostle Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25, where we read, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit." Now, most of us can avoid the works of the flesh. You know, we, we have enough willpower to do that. But the fact is, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always bear the fruits of the Spirit. I, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not always loving and patient uh, towards my children when they don't listen to me or obey or when we're, trying to, we're in a hurry and trying to get somewhere and they're moving slowly. I'm not always patient. I wish I was. Uh, they can tell you more about that later. Uh, but when I fail to be patient, I could try harder and focus on that fruit or I could train smarter by focusing on my relationship to the Holy Spirit. If by my own willpower I just try real hard to always be loving, joyful, patient, kind, self-controlled, gentle, the fact is that my willpower will not be strong enough to sustain that kind of long-term effort. But if I will focus on connecting to the Spirit of God, then I will begin to naturally bear fruits of the Spirit. If I will seek to walk in the Spirit, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter five, then I will naturally bear fruits of the Spirit. So how do we walk in the Spirit exactly? How how do we connect to the Holy Spirit? In the Gospel of John chapter three, Jesus says that the Spirit is like the wind. And you you may have noticed in Acts chapter two, before the Holy Spirit empowers the the disciples, he makes himself known through this mighty rushing wind. In fact, pneuma, that Greek word, can be also translated as spirit or Wind. And if you want to catch the wind, if you're in a sailboat, I can't make the wind blow, but I can raise my sail so that I might catch the wind and take it where it'll take me where I need to go. In our life with Jesus, the way that we raise our sails so that we can catch the wind of the Spirit's movement is by doing the kinds of things Jesus did, by following and walking in His footsteps, by doing the spiritual practices and disciplines He did, like like prayer and solitude and fasting. Notice that before the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, what are they doing? They're praying in one room and in fellowship, and then the Holy Spirit appears. If we want to experience the power of the Spirit, we've got to do those kind of spiritual practices every day. In fact, if we have certain sins that we tend to wrestle with, uh, maybe we wrestle with the sins of coveting or, or pride or jealousy or gossip, then there are actually spiritual practices we can do to help counter those sins. Dallas Willard in his best-selling book, Spirit of the Disciplines, Understanding How God Changes Lives, points out that the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices can be categorized as disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. The disciplines of abstinence are solitude, being alone, silence, not talking. If you wrestle with gossip, that's a good one, quit talking fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. The disciplines of engagement are meditation on Scripture, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, giving, and submission. So for instance, if you struggle with a sloth, that's one of the seven deadly sins, well, service is a great discipline to start practicing, start serving others. Or if you struggle with the sin of of, of greed and, and coveting, like so many Americans do, simplicity and and frugality and giving are are great disciplines to practice. Because as we, we learn to live more simply and we begin to give more, then we find the desire to pursue stuff of this world less appealing as we experience the joy of giving. Yes, as we actively practice spiritual disciplines like Jesus did, like prayer, and solitude, meditation on scripture, then the Holy Spirit will begin to move in and through us and transform us from the inside out so that we'll naturally bear the fruits of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we bear these fruits, people are gonna be drawn to us and to wonder why. And then we can point them to Jesus. As the Holy Spirit has come to guide us and all truth to guide us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come to empower us to do the work of God's kingdom. The Holy Spirit has come to transform us more and more into the image of Christ so that we might point others to Christ. What might God do through our church if each one of us sought to be guided, empowered, and transformed by the Holy Spirit this summer? Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the Paraclete, the Helper, the Holy Spirit that you have sent to guide us in all truth, to empower us to do the work of your kingdoms, and to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Oh God, help us to take the time we need to do the disciplines, the spiritual practices that Jesus did, so that we might better connect to you, so that we might catch the wind of your Spirit's movement, so that we might participate in your work, so that we might be guided by your Spirit in pointing others to Jesus that we might be empowered by your spirit to do the work of your kingdom, pointing people to Jesus so that we might be transformed in our character so that we better reflect Christ and therefore point others to Jesus. Oh God, we thank you for your spirit. May we all seek to walk and step with your spirit this day and every day. Your son's name we pray and all God's people said, "Amen." amen.